This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Ferminger. What comes to your mind when I say Doug and the Slugs? If you live in Canada and you grew up in the 1970s and 1980s, you probably think of one of the unlikeliest peppy pop rock bands of the era, fronted by the unlikeliest peppy pop rock stars, the late Doug Bennett. And you probably smile because songs like Too Bad and Real Enough and Making It Work and Day by Day and their accompanying music videos were fun. And because slug mania was real in this country, the slugs were clever, and they did not take themselves too seriously. Well, you can revisit the songs and the men who made them in Doug and the Slugs and Me, a fascinating and fun documentary by Vancouver filmmaker Teresa Allfeld about the man that publicist turned much music VJ Denise Donlin describes in the film as more a carny than a sex symbol. The film follows the rise of the Vancouver band and its frontman through archival footage, interviews with band members and Doug's family, and icons like Ed the Sock, Biff Naked, Ron Sexsmith, and Sir Bob Geldof, who actually worked with Doug at the Georgia Strait back in the day. We also hear from Doug himself through the journals he left behind. The and me in the title, Doug and the Slugs and Me, refers to the filmmaker herself. Teresa grew up next door to Doug and his family. She was BFFs with his daughter, Shay, and she might not have ever held a camera had it not been for Doug Bennett himself. Doug and the Slugs and Me is a film about the slugs, about music, about making music, about legacy and Vancouver, about friendship, dreams, and ego, about grief, and also about the documentarian's starting point. Namely, what happened? And what we find is a portrait of a man and a band that is satisfying, thoroughly entertaining, and maybe even gives us more than we bargained for. Doug and the Slugs and Me screens at the 2022 Doxa Documentary Film Festival. And I am joined by Teresa to talk all about it. Yeah. Teresa Allfeld, welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. A lot of fun. Very happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. I am such a big fan of this film and also of your previous feature-length documentary, The Rank and File Legacy of a Radical, all about one of the most colorful politicians we have ever had in this country. Um, so I guess that is a thread that runs between the two films, but why Doug's story? Why this particular story for your follow-up to The Rank and File? Oh, great question. And there's the the sort of uh, the nice answer, and then there's the real answer. So I'm, I'll skip the nice answer and just go hey. to the real. 
which was, um, so we had used, um, we were lucky enough to have worked with Simon Kendall uh, when we did the rank and file legacy radical in order to license a bunch of Doug and the Slugs music. It had made sense for the film, um, uh, the rank and file being set in 1980s Vancouver. And, you know, John, my producer, John Bolton, and I were talking about what's the right sound for this film. And we thought, oh, 1980s, Doug and the Slugs, obviously. I think I actually had looked over at the old Bennett house. Um, <laughs> that was part of triggering that, that memory and that idea. But um, we were really shocked and happy and surprised by how positive the reaction to Doug and the Slugs music was when we screened the Rankin file. And it was consistent and folks were so happy to hear this music again. So coming off of the Rankin file, I thought, Oh, this is easy. I'll make it. I'll do Doug and the Slugs. That's a film that could make itself. You know. Sorry. <laughs> Knowing documentary filmmakers as I do, saying this is easy and this film, and you're shaking your head and you're holding your brains in. That is like that is obviously once you put that into the universe, the opposite is going to happen. Yep. Yep. She's nodding. <laughs> Oh boy. So yeah, you, you, you nailed it. I thought easy peasy. It's a great Canadian story. It's a great Canadian band. I'd gotten to know the slugs themselves. They were wonderful, unique, weird characters. Um, they'd mostly preferred, preserved their archive. Um, and they had a, they had a following, they had a fan base. So John Bolton and I thought, Oh yeah, we can, we can do this. We'll, we'll get this one done and then, you know, keep, keep going. Um, but as you so um, smartly uh, predicted, it was the complete opposite. It, uh, it was a four-year project, which is not unheard of, but um, it was longer than I anticipated. Obviously, throw a global pandemic into the middle of that, and you're uh, looking at a lot more work and a lot more time to begin with. But the main thing that changed for me was this assumption at the beginning that I could make a film just about Doug and the Slugs and not really explore or um, acknowledge that I had my own relationship with Doug and my own relationship with the family. I was just so foolish to think, well, you know, that's what it is. And it's great that, you know, um, I'll have hopefully some easier access to the family and to certain characters, but that doesn't need to be part of the story. But once I got going, I unfortunately found out it was impossible. Okay, first of all, it's not unfortunately as somebody who has watched the finished project of your four years of work, it is a wonderful film and I, I am so happy that the and me is part of it. Two, I apologize for laughing. I don't normally just explicitly laugh at my guests, but <laughs> you kind of... I welcome it. I laugh at myself all the time. Go with it. <laughs> but what, what did you do to ensure that you didn't cast too wide a net for yourself? You know, because you cover in the film... Doug's personal story, the story of a man, you cover the story of a band, you cover the story of an industry. So it's also that kind of film. And then there's your own story, which brings in friendship and, and grief and the journey of an artist, you know? So what did you do to make sure that it wasn't too unwieldy? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, regular therapy? Um, I'm <laughs> I'm kidding. No. Um, honestly, Sabrina, I, I mean, this film was a team effort and it w it really came together as a result of, um, again, my producer, John Bolton, who has been, was my producer on the rank and file and, you know, uh, an amazing support person as we navigated 
this um, this project, um, my my editor Hart Snyder as well was really able to sort of hold my hand as I navigated, you know, what my own boundaries and comfort levels were in in putting myself into the story. So, um, I think you know another way that we sort of tried to keep keep it in scope and that I tried to navigate the different storylines was using Doug's journals and and those. Mm. You know, when I got my hands on those, that was really the starting point of realizing this was more than just a standard rock doc. You know, there were these 39 books that had been in storage for decades and no one had read them. You know, I know that uh, I think that people had peeked at them, but no one had really sat down and read them front to back. And so as I did that, I started finding themes that resonated in the band's story alongside Doug's story, and then ultimately in my own story and my own connection to the material. And finding those common themes helped sort of lay some groundwork as to how to how to bring this all together in a cohesive, uh, hopefully uh, uh, compelling film. Okay, I'm gonna tell you, it's not hopefully compelling, it is fucking compelling you can spread the podcast um the the journals i mean it's it's so beautiful how you integrate them into the film not only like do we get close-ups of the pages themselves so we can see doug's writing um but you also there are moments where you hand the journals you know to people that he's written about and then they read you know the good and the bad and sometimes like there's one one it's with denise donlin where she reads what what doug really thought of her uh as as a professional and you know the skills that she had it was really beautiful um but did you have any concern i mean they're so deeply personal right like they're they're diaries they're journals there are 39 of them so what kind of concerns or or feelings like did you have associated with them you know and i guess that kind of ties into like what kind of responsibility did you feel to doug um his story yeah, um, it was an enormous responsibility, and it was one that I wrestled with quite a bit. Mm. Um, obviously, I am now the only person who's read all 39 of them multiple times. Um, even his family hadn't read um, and knew exactly what was in them. So where I started was I, I, I had the assurance from Doug's widow, um, Nancy Hare, um, my old best friend's mom, that Doug was preparing a memoir that sure this was unedited and there is lots in there that I know Doug would not want out there. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sensitive individual. It's not hard to, to figure out um, when he was sort of documenting and recording versus when he was processing. Mm. Um, and, you know, the family entrusted me with these books, not even knowing fully what was in there. So not only did I feel sort of uh, an obligation to Doug, it was also to the, the Bennett's themselves that I make really conscientious choices about information that I pulled that would further the story, further the development of Doug and really help bring his voice into the film. Yeah, and he was a remarkable writer as well, both in the, I mean, this is not just like, these are not journal entries where like, I went to this place and I hated this, like, they're not like that. Like that's you, you, the lyricism of the Duggan and the Slugs music, you know, and specifically of the lyrics, uh, you know, you can, you can see the, that artistry in the journals um, themselves. You know, I feel like we have listeners all over the world and I know that people are all over the world are going to, seek out this film, you know, because it is beginning its, its journey. Um, how would you describe Doug and the Slugs and, you know, their music to the uninitiated? 
holy smokes, that's the million dollar question. And that that's above my pay grade. <laughs> um, I, I often describe them as irreverent, com- dark comedy fueled, um, lyrical, metaphorical, upbeat party music that if you really listen to the lyrics might make you depressed. It's, 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 it's really, it's complex. It's far more complex um, than most people know because Doug and the Slugs, obviously, as you mentioned in your introduction, I mean, Slug Mania was huge in Canada and the Slugs and abroad as well. Um, and the Slugs had some fabulous hits, you know, making it work too bad um, day by day. And I would make the argument that this represented perhaps their, their you know, catchiest music but actually not their best um, in terms of musical complexity, genre um, uh, deviation and blending, uh, lyrical richness. Um, I found in really, you know, listening to all the music, you know, we really highlight this one song actually in the film called Partly From Pressure, which I found to be just the most gorgeous, bittersweet song that I think really nailed who Doug and the Slugs were. And yeah. so... That's how I describe them. And one huge hope I have with this film is that it exposes uh, people who think they know Doug and the Slugs to really like sit down and do a deep dive um, to the records. All the music's on Spotify now, by the way, um, which was not the case up until recently. So sit down, really listen to Doug and the Slugs, and you might even find you meet a band that you thought you knew, but you really didn't. Yeah, I mean, I thought I knew Doug and the Slugs. And then, you know, like, I think towards the beginning of the film, or does the film even open with like someone re- you reading lyrics, right, of, of one of the songs? And then we get to go and we meet all the, di- the different band members. And then there are, you I mean, you've had you have some incredible private performances in the film, you know, from the different band members. I think one of my and this is kind of my way of segueing into like the celebrity interviews portion of our conversation. I loved you sitting with um, Terry David Mulligan, you know, uh, former um, Much Music VJ and probably one of like the most um, dedicated uh, record collectors and like Canadian music lovers, you know, in, in this country going through all the different albums, you know, and I mean, he is ride or die for Doug and the Slugs, right? And so you can, you can really feel that uh, in the film. So can, can we, can we, can we talk about these celebrity uh, interviews, which include also you had you had uh, TD, TDM um, and Michael Williams, like you, the people, because I grew up watching much music in the 80s, right? You know, Denise Donlin, um, Biff Naked, Sir Bob Geldof, Ron Sexsmith, Ed the Sock. Like, tell me about, you know, what what all of those different, you know, interviews, you know, brought to the film and, you know, what were some of your like favorite moments from them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned at the top of this, I thought making this film would be easy. And I will say that lining up some of our like high profile interviews was actually not hard to do. People mm. wanted to talk about Doug and the Slugs because they love Doug and the Slugs. And that ranges from those who worked with the band and had a personal connection. So Denise Donlin, um, you know, Michael Williams a little bit, um, uh, uh, TDM, of course, um, to those who really had watched them from afar and perhaps found inspiration. You know, Stephen Page says... Right! <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I should. That was one of the things that I jotted down when I was watching because Stephen Page, you know, famously, you know, past frontman of Bare Naked Ladies, talked about how Doug and the Slugs actually, you know, inspired Bare Naked Ladies, basically, right? So, sorry. That, yes, I noticed that. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. Um, no, Stephen Page, again, yes, he says, you know, they absolutely paved the way, you know, because Doug and the Slugs were one of those bands, you know, I missed this in my earlier description, but to some extent, you know, um, and Doug would hate this, but there was an element of novelty, right, to their, mainly to their live act um, and to their videos, less so to their actual songwriting. But Stephen Page was happy to uh, acknowledge that and, and give them their due because they were so influential, even though, um, Doug and the Slugs never managed to break it in the U.S. the same way um, a band like Bare Naked Ladies did. But um, those were, again, easy interviews, surprisingly, <laughs> to get. I just, you know, we did some cold calls. Hey, you know, we know that you have this connection to the band. Do you want to talk about it? And things just fell into, into, into line. Yeah. Okay. So do you have a favorite interview from all those? If I make you pick your favorite. My favorite. I mean, I have... I- it's a it's a oh, they're all my babies they're all wonderful but um I'll, I'll pick a couple i have to i'm sorry i mean that's fine that's fine obviously, obviously sir bob geldoff was just um otherworldly you know um he I, I couldn't believe that he said yes sure come to london let's talk about doug um because he loved doug bennett so much and i think that comes through in his interview um he talks about, you know, that time in Vancouver um, at the Georgia Street in the 70s and the, the, the crew of folks, uh, the art and the writing they were doing and how Doug's music really came out of that. Mm. Um, so, so that was, again, uh, a career highlight. Um, probably most fun, though, was Ed the Sock. I never thought I would actually get, because I, I grew up watching much music, of course, too, and I certainly never imagined I would actually get to sit down and, and put Ed in the hot seat as he's normally the one doing the interview. So that was just wild and, and so much fun. And boy, he does not mince words. I want to do a bloop, uh, a, bleep, a blooper reel, rather, of all the very uh, uh, provocative things that Ed the Sock said. But yeah, I mean, I was like, Biff Naked is just so cool getting Ron Sexsmith to play day by day in an ancient barn. Like it just, everything just came together so beautifully. And I, I honestly can't pick a favorite. It was just so much fun. I mean, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about um, how, you know, the Bennett's and Doug specifically impacted you. And there's a lot in this that like, I don't even want to tell my audience about, like, I don't want to spoil that part of the journey for them. Um, but I want to ask you about like the end result of this journey. You know, how did this experience of really diving into Doug's history, diving into his world, diving into the, you know, the family dynamic and, and, and all of it, how does it change how you regard Doug, both as an artist and also within your own history? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think that there's many, um, occupations uh, quite like documentary filmmaking that allow you to go so deep into an individual's life um, and consequently your own life um, in crafting in crafting a documentary so you know for me it really became this once in a lifetime opportunity to go back go back in time and spend some time with Doug um, and specifically for me to go back in time and spend time at 2146 Semlin Drive mm-hmm. as a child in the 90s and to think about who were these people around me and what did I 
What did I not appreciate at the time? What was over my head? What was I only seeing through a child's eyes? And so to be able to go back in time and really live in that world, but with my, you know, more adult perspective, it was so rich and at times overwhelming and um, brought up so, so much. And I think not only for me, but also for the Bennett family and those around Doug. So it was, again, an incredible, uh, certainly not easy exercise, but one that I think really did prove fruitful with, with the resulting film. Excellent. How do you think this has changed you as a documentary filmmaker? Well, I'll never start a project saying, oh, that should be easy and fast. I mean, I certainly learned my lesson on that one. Um, You know, one of the biggest things that I took away from this project, you know, outside of the more material developments in my own life, which, you know, as you said, we cannot spoil all of those. um, But it really had me thinking about what it means to, and this may sound cheesy, but what it means to really pursue your dreams and pursue your art and pursue a creative career that um, is outside of the box. And I found myself at a certain point when reading Doug's journals, you know, identifying with some of the um, problems and challenges and opportunities that he was working through as as an artist trying to forge a career. And for me, where I'm at in my own career, I thought, oh my gosh, like I've been navigating that exact thing. Or I understand, I get how scary it is to, you know, choose A over B. And so I really found that, um, I, I really found that it gave me the space and time to meditate on what it means to, again, pursue this very unsafe, very uncomfortable um, path that is trying to um, be an artist and make films. Yeah. What I love about when you were describing um, the rank and file is how the audience's reaction to the Doug and the Slugs music actually led to you thinking that this might be the, the next story that you want to tell. So how do you want people to feel as the credits are rolling at the end of this film? What conversations would you like people to have in theater? Because, you know, this is one of the films that is actually going to be screening in person. <laughs> Doc says back, baby. Yes. <laughs> so what do you want to hear people talking about or, or feeling, you know, as the end credits are rolling? Well, I think, you know, as I said earlier, I want them to feel like they've seen another side of Doug and the Slugs and another side of Doug Bennett. I want them to be excited to be hearing the music again, seeing the videos again. And, you know, one thing I didn't mention was we've restored um, a number of Doug and the Slugs music videos. I was able to get my hands on um, some of the master tapes Um So I want them to feel, I want audiences to feel excited and happy to be back in that time. I want them to feel like they've seen another side to Doug and the band um, that they hadn't seen before. Um, But beyond that, I would hope that they are reflecting on relationships as that is a huge theme in the film. It's a theme in Doug's story, the band's story, and it's a theme in mine, friendship specifically. And I hope that this film can sort of serve as a way for people to maybe revisit Um, relationships past and present and hopefully to you know perhaps perhaps inquire a little bit with you know bring some curiosity as so much came out of the making of this film that I certainly had never uh, planned on Um, and 
and perhaps to you know you mentioned obviously grief is is a theme in this film and something that we, we we address and it's it's difficult it's it's really tough and i've you know um i've had I know that some people who've had the opportunity to see the film have found it helpful, you know, the way we talk about loss um, and the way we work through it um, in the film. I, I hope that uh, that segment of, of the film gives perhaps a little bit of language and a little bit of, of validation to uh, the difficulty of being a, a, a parent, um, which is something, again, that we, we dig into with this film. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Teresa. This is this film is it's a delight, and it is. I will be thinking about it for a long time, and I, and I'm so excited for other people to see it, so I can talk to them all about it. Where can people find you f and follow you and the film's journey? You know, on the interwebs. On the interwebs, uh, our website is slugumentary.com. Yes, it is. <laughs> And our handles on all social media are Slugumentary. So you can add us at, at Slugumentary. Uh, we're going to be releasing some exciting behind the scenes uh, content leading up to our world premiere at DOXA on May 14th. We are again the closing night film, which is very exciting for us. Um, and other than that, we, we hope to see folks at a real theater. I haven't premiered a film in a theater in a couple years now, and I'm very excited to actually get some bums in seats, get some energy going and uh, celebrate um, the band and this film. Yes, bring your bums to, <laughs> to Doxa. Bring your own bum. Bring your own bum. <laughs> oh, I think Doug Bennett would frankly like that description. Okay, Doug and the Slugs and Me screens at the 2022 Doxa Documentary Film Festival and you can visit doxafestival.ca for tickets, screening times, and info about how to access, how to bring your bum to their theaters and also uh, to their online screenings. You could just, I, I don't know why we're still talking about bums. Anyway, it's a slugumentary. Like, subscribe, leave us a review if you're so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having rad conversations like the one we just had with Teresa today. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene and at Sabrina Arp. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devley. Poor, poor, not Furminger Dane. You are Furminger to us, Dane, for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television and music. Oh, we did music today. Yes, and music scene. And cut. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. 
Fishflight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the Fishflight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fishflight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.